0: I have learned that for some of us who were not raised in an environment where uh, Lent is practiced, the uh, the period of Lent, that it's really helpful for us as a church before going into Lent to kind of explain what it's about and why we do it. Because the, the word itself is either a foreign word or carries weird connotations with it. Um, and so for, for uh, the next three weeks, actually, we're going to have a pre-Lent series, okay? And uh, that's because once you get to Lent, the whole idea is not to talk about Lent. The idea is to talk about Jesus. Um, and so but before that, though, we want to explain a little bit what Lent and why Lent um, so that we're on the same page and prepared appropriately to look at Jesus. And um, so we're going to have a few different angles on that. And so today uh, we're looking at why Lent. That's what we're looking at today. And our text is going to be in Jude, starting in verse 20. You can stand with me in honor of God's word. I don't have to tell you what chapter. It says Jude 1 there, but there's not really any chapters in Jude. It's just Jude. I said that to a person who was importing slides, who will remain nameless. And I said, uh, yeah, Jude 20 to 25. They're like, all those chapters? I was like, think about it. It's Jude. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, here we go. I want you to hold on to these verses. These are awesome verses. These were actually, uh, I read these in my devotional time this week as well, um, which I was really excited about. I've been on a seven-year journey through the scriptures um, and just finished Jude this week and started Revelation. So I'm in the last book going through uh, cover to cover with a, a real slow study. Um, and this was uh, part of my devotional reading and it was just such a blessing to hear these words. So I just ask that like you hang on to each phrase, but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of of his holy glory, of his glory, with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever, Amen. 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 Great passage. You can have a seat. I'll be joining me in prayer in just a minute, but there's a few things I just want to sh- say about this passage. Have you, did you notice how incredibly God-dependent and God-focused that passage is? It starts off by saying, beloved. And we're all the beloved, right? That's the bride, those of us who are deeply loved. And it says, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. That's together building ourselves up. That's not, I'm going to build myself up. It's like we're we're called to build one another up. It's a building us up. We are the beloved together, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, at, in the dependence on God, building one another up in God dependence, and praying in the Holy Spirit, which is our act of dependence, prayer in the Holy Spirit. And then it says this: Keep yourselves in the love of God. When uh, on uh on Friday on Valentine's Day we have a little chalk plate that or a uh, slate plate that you can write with chalk on in our kitchen, and when the boys and I went to have breakfast Friday morning. Of course, they didn't have school. Um, and when we went to have breakfast on Valentine's Day morning, we saw that Jen had written Jude 21 on the chalk plate, and it said, keeping yourselves in God's love on Valentine's Day, which was really cool. The picture that I had as I was thinking about that was a bunch of little puppies who were trying to get up under their mom. You know, all wiggling and wriggling, building yourselves up, keeping yourself in the love of God. That the whole point of the church is to continue to kind of worm our way in there under the love of God and make sure we're staying in the warmth and the connectedness of God. And that, and then it says that we're to have mercy on on those who missed it a little bit you know, who have fallen away. And we're also to snatch others from the fire, those who are out from under the protective wing of mama. Reach out and grab them and pull them back under. And then for for others, show mercy with fear. Give them a little snap on the knuckles and say, it's dangerous out there. Don't step out of God's love. There are evil things lurking around that are trying to distract us. It's not okay. Stay in God's love. Be satisfied in God's love. Get up in there under God's love. And then it just turns the focus completely toward God and says, he's the one who is able to keep us from stumbling. He's the one who can present us faultless. To him be all the glory, all the honor, all the dominion, all the authority, all the praise. Amen and amen. Right? And that's the picture. It's a beautiful picture of a community turning its gaze on Jesus, finding ourselves completely absorbed and loved and under the protection of Jesus. And this is the point of Lent. This is the point of Lent. It's the whole point. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for uh, all the blessing of your scripture. Man, your scripture has has given us so many pictures in our minds that help us see reality because our eyes deceive us and our minds deceive us, but you wash us with the water of the word and you paint pictures in our minds of uh, a true reality that we find through the scriptures. And I ask that today you would reveal yourself again through these scriptures in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, when I was a kid, we didn't have a tory. Um, but when I would go to my friend's house and we would play Atari, I, I remember, um, there was this button called the reset button that if the cartridge wasn't working, you hit reset and it kind of makes it kind of work. And then when Nintendo came out, we did get Nintendo at our house, which was awesome. And when we got Nintendo, we put this cartridge in and it wouldn't work. And sometimes you'd take the cartridge out and you'd like blow in the cartridge or something. You put it back in. And if it wasn't working, you kept hitting the button reset to try to get it to work. Okay. And it's the, the whole idea. We've come a long way in technology. My uh, MacBook, my laptop, I'll go months without ever powering it down without ever powering it down and the thing just keeps going. When I'm done with it, I close it, put it in my bag and go. And then when I get wherever I'm going, I open it up and I start right back in again. It was designed to keep running without having to reboot it. My dad likes to tell this uh, story about one time when he was having a problem with his PC and he said something to my brother and I about like, yeah, you know how when it gets stuck in this screen, you have to power it down and reboot it. And we both looked at each other because we have Macs and we were like, no idea what you're talking about right now. And, uh, and But we've come a long way in technology where we don't have to reset and reboot things as much because they just work. And when it comes to the American church and when it comes to, to us as people of faith, there's a lot about the American church that actually does work. You know, And has worked for years. There's programming that works. There's spiritual disciplines that work. There's ways of doing evangelism and outreach that we've done. We have a lot of lingo and a lot of doctrine. And we figure out how to relate to one another and care for one another. And we all know it's not perfect. And yet there are things about church that can just happen. And what can happen when it comes to things that work is sometimes we forget that you have to reset it. You see my Mac computer every now and then I'll upgrade software or download a new application on my computer. And something won't work yet because it has to be reset and like I remember this one time I couldn't figure out what was wrong with my computer So I called the tech line to ask them what was going on and they said Have you tried restarting it? And I was like, I haven't restarted it in months and they're like turn it off and turn it back on and I did bingo it worked. I was so used to the thing working well that I didn't even consider the fact that we had to reboot and get it reset. And sometimes in our spiritual lives, we're so intent on doing all the stuff that God has called us to. If we love Him, we obey His commands. Pursue Him this way. Honor Him this way. Here's all the religious stuff that we're actually supposed to do that He calls us to in our faith journey. But we can get so accustomed to doing all that stuff that when life isn't working, we forget that every now and then you have to push the reset button and stop everything we're doing and just stare at Jesus. Because that's what it's about. That's really what it's about. And that's what Lent is about, is it's putting in our calendar every year a big pause, a reset button, that powers down all of our activity and all of our self-dependence and all of the stuff that we're doing. Because it's not that we believe that it's on us. We know it's about God. But when we're the ones doing all the stuff that that God has asked us to do, sometimes our theology and our mindset accidentally switches and we start somehow doing all this stuff, not because we're trying to see and know and love God, but because we're trying to do what we're supposed to do because that's what you got to do in order to get done what he told us to do. And it becomes all about our doing. And it's not that we believe that, but it is that we start to believe that. And so the pause in the calendar in Lent is bringing our calendar in line with our doctrine and our theology that says, this is not about me, this is about God. And so every year there's going to be a period in leading up to easter where we just stop and we look at him and we make all of our teaching and all of our focus about just seeing jesus because that's what it's all about it's about jesus it's not about us there's this old uh heresy called pelagianism big fancy word it's based on a guy named pelagian And uh, Pelagianism uh, was about this guy who didn't believe in original sin. And what that means is is that when Adam and Eve sinned, he was like, well, that was their problem. And yeah, they introduced some things into the world that were unhelpful. They set a bad example. But that doesn't mean that their kids were born with a sin nature. It doesn't mean that everyone's messed up when they're born. What it meant was just that that guy set a bad influence for us. But we still have the power to be righteous and have a relationship with God on our own which, of course, is completely unbiblical. You can't actually believe the Bible and believe that, which is why it was easily deemed as heresy quickly. However, there was another heresy that came after it called semi-Pelagianism. Okay? Forgive the theological doctrinal lessons today. Okay, but the, there, there's semi-Pelagianism was this. It was that there, there there was actually a belief that original sin did affect us, that we were born with sin because of Adam and Eve, and that we were born with that, and and that we couldn't actually be justified by our own work that God had to die on the cross to forgive us for our sins. However, there was still enough resident good within us that completely on our own, we could reach out and receive that grace and that we could choose to engage that relationship with God without God helping us to engage it. Hmm. And that was actually considered heresy by the church. Why? Because this is why for by grace, You have been saved through faith, and this, not of yourself, but is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So even the person who chooses God can't say, it's by my own merit that I chose God. No, we choose God by His grace. Now there's a smaller Debate, even within that, that has to do with Calvinism and Arminianism, and that's an age-old debate that's within the orthodoxy of the church, okay? And there's healthy debate in there. But here's the point. Here's the point. Why are we talking about all this? Here's the point. Is because... The reason that people believed in semi-Pelagianism is because they couldn't possibly fathom if God is the one who's wooing our heart to Him and drawing our heart to Him, then how do we explain all those whose hearts aren't drawn to Him? That seems completely unfair. How come God hasn't drawn everyone's heart to Him? And so they believe in semi-Pelagianism. However, the inverse is far worse. And the inverse is, is this, is that if God says, anyone who wants to choose me can and He only responds to those who choose Him, then we are the ones calling the shots, not God. You see, and this is how it works, is that we love because He first loves us. And there's a lot of like nuances and details in there. But here's the important thing, is that in our faith, it all starts with God. It always starts with God. And the thing that separates Christianity from all other faiths is that it's a grace-based faith that doesn't eliminate justice or anything like that. But it says, our founder is God. Our founder is the point. Our founder is grace. You see, we're all messed up and we don't have any way to move forward except for this person who came and invaded our life and saved us all and revealed himself. And the best thing I can do is stop and look at him and begin to depend on Him because it all starts with Him. And it's not about a man-made religion. It's not about my efforts to pursue Him. It's not about this. It's not about that. We need efforts in pursuing God, but that's only a response to God first making effort in pursuing us. Everything starts with God. And the whole idea of Lent is putting a pause in my calendar and saying, before I figure out how to pursue God, I'm going to stop and just look at how He pursued me because I think I will be far better at pursuing God if I first become enthralled with how He pursued me. It all starts with Him. It all starts with Him. And that's what Lent is all about. Now here's the, here's the thing, is that you may say, well then... If it's all about stopping my own pursuit of God, then what about that whole part of Lent where you give stuff up? You know? Like I always hear, like most people when they hear a Lent, it's that whole thing of like, you know, you give stuff up. Well, doesn't that seem like a hardcore spiritual discipline where I'm the one sacrificing and this is, and, and this that is true and it's a really dangerous way to lose our way in Lent if what we actually think is we're sacrificing for our own self-righteousness? or even for our own merit or so that we can uh gain some sort of clout in our pursuit of god we can lose our way you know for some people lent is a really good dieting tool you know i'm going to give up candy for lent you know i'm going to give up uh whatever for lent and well why are you doing that i just because I really needed a good reason to go on a diet. (laughs) You know, it's basically (laughs) the essence of that. And for others, it may be, well, I want to sacrifice really hard because I want to pursue God more. And this is sort of a fast of where, like, I'm going to work harder at pursuing God. And so there can be that real sense of self-righteousness or merit where it's kind of a penance that I'm paying, where every now and then i got to sacrifice a little bit harder. None of that is the point when it comes to Lent. That's not the reason why we... Have self-discipline or sacrifice. What is the reason? This is the reason. It's about popcorn and Coke and 3D three D glasses. Popcorn and Coke and 3 Let me explain where I'm going with that, okay? When it comes to worship, one of the primary aspects of worship starts with this word that's used over a thousand times in the scriptures, all across the scriptures. And it's something that's unique to mankind apart from Animals, it's this word, behold, behold. See, we're supposed to be able to see, to watch, to notice, to gaze. Listen to this verse right here, okay? This is Psalm 1715, or I'm sorry, Psalm 274, you know this. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Second Corinthians three seventeen to 18, you may know this. It says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, which is the Spirit. You know how a few weeks ago we had that sermon called the chicken or the egg? And we said, which is more important, to pursue mission or to be together as a family? And we said, neither, whether we go in or whether we go out isn't the first point. The first point is that we go up. Before we're ever producers for God, we're consumers for God. And the first way that we consume perhaps might be just seeing him. Gazing into his beauty. And as we gaze into the beauty of God, something happens to us. We're told in Second Corinthians that with unveiled faces, as we gaze into the beauty of God, as we behold his glory, we become transformed into his glory. Something happens. As we stare at God, we become more like God, which is why David says, man, all I want, this is the one thing I ask, is that I can be in your temple and to gaze upon your face. I just want to see you. I just want to see you, God. You know what beholding actually means? Here's, this is kind of a conglomeration of both the Greek and the Hebrew for this word beholding. It says to have a clear image presented, to show in a mirror, to reflect, or to gaze. And the word gaze means to look intently upon, to observe, to choose, to have vision of. So the whole idea is, is that as worshipers, what we do, is that we have the ability to choose what we look at. And then when we look at it, we're not just looking at it. We're taking it all in. You know? When we stop, you know how if you're driving and there's beauty all around you, you might actually sometime just stop what you're thinking about, turn off the radio or whatever, and just choose to engage your eyes in the beauty of nature around you. That's beholding. One of the best things that a husband can do for his wife is to gaze. Know, to take it all in to notice to say wow wow that's something right there you know to notice when it comes to god that is our first choice our first gaze who we watch who we watch is so essential how we gaze which is why in psalm 17:15 david says this he says as for me I shall behold your face in righteousness. That was a decision. That was a choice. I shall behold your face in righteousness. And he says, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. He's saying, I'm choosing to look at one thing, God. You. I'm choosing to be satisfied by looking at one thing. By beholding you. The, the, um, also on Friday, We had a devotional time with the boys um, in the morning, like our family devotions around the table. And the devotional that we were working through that day had to do with the the verse that talks about running the race so as to win. And uh, as we were discussing that, I asked the boys, I said, what, What does that mean, you know? And Colton said, well, it was really cool. It was one of these, like, great moments. You know, sometimes family devotions just don't work easily, and it's all kind of like, you know, and then every now and then there's, like, a moment where it all comes together, and we're like, yes, you know? And this was one of them where uh, Colton said, well, like, life is like a race. And he's like, you don't worry about how everyone else is running. You just look at God and you and you just go after God and you just keep going after him. And don't get distracted by everything else and by what everyone else is doing. You just keep running toward God. Just keep running toward him and looking toward him. I'm like, yes, that right there. Hold on to that. And then I said, Evan, what does that remind you of? And Evan said, it reminds me of Peter. And I said, Peter, why does it remind you of Peter? And he said, like when he was walking on water. And I said, why? And he said, cause remember when he stopped looking at Jesus, he started to sink. So we're supposed to keep looking at Jesus. And I was like, yes, that's it. And then Jen and Colton both had the same thought at the same time, which was that they had this remembrance of in the Sunday morning or in the, in the uh, summer, there was this time we went to ONJ J uh, high school. They had a track and the kids can go and have like a pretend track meet. And the, the track coach teaches them how to run and all that stuff. And They remember me saying to them, when you're running, don't look around or look back to see where everyone else is. Because if you look back, now you can't stride as far. You cut your stride. you got to keep ahead so you can stride further. Don't look side to side. And they both had this thought at the same time. Don't be distracted by anything else around us, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Who we watch is so important. Because we are beholders. We were created to be beholders. Our job is to behold. It's written over a thousand times in Scripture, this word. Behold. Look. Stare intently. Take it all in. And what we're told is our primary gaze is always to be on Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those watching, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that entangles and let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author, that's the one who wrote the book, and the finisher of what? Our faith. My faith starts with Him. My faith ends with Him. My primary job is to stare at Him so my faith grows and that will be the perseverance from the beginning all the way to the end of the race. This is my job. Stare at Jesus. Stare at Him. Gaze at Him. Behold His beauty. And the fact that we're allowed to is incredible because it used to be that if you stared at Him, you died. die. And you remember John in Revelation chapter 1, which I also started this week in my personal time, that he thought he was going to die. When he beheld Jesus, he fell on his face as though dead. And Jesus rubs his hair. (laughs) says, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The first and the last. You know, I got you, is in essence what he was saying. I got you. And we have the opportunity to gaze at Jesus but it's not just important that we look. It's how we look that's also important. Imagine a movie theater where this is what's on the film. This is what's playing right now. We're all in the theater and it's on the screen. And on this screen, there's a bunch of people on a deck right by the ocean. And they're having a barbecue. Okay, and they're all hanging out and somebody's flipping burgers. And in this particular theater you're wearing 3d glasses you know and it feels like you're in it but in this particular theater they have this aroma and i've always dreamed about this a little bit where they they put pump scent into the into the theater so you begin to smell the barbecue you know yeah and then there's like a fogger that that blows in sea breeze you know and you can feel the ocean breeze and, and the salt and all of that and the whole thing starts to come alive You know, because it's multi-sensory and you're feeling it all, and it's awesome. But here's the problem, is that that's when it's that scene. But when it's the middle of a battle in Gettysburg, in the sweltering heat, I don't want to feel that, and I don't want to smell that, and I don't want to experience it that much, because I'm there for entertainment, and maybe to learn a little bit, but I don't want to experience it that much. Lent. This story is not supposed to be easy on us. This is not entertainment value. This is not just something that's supposed to feel good. I went to uh, The Passion of the Christ weeks before it came out in the theater because in the area where I was ministering at the time, they brought all the pastors together for a pre-screening of it. Uh, One of the things that um, Mel Gibson was trying to do was he was trying to engage a whole bunch of pastors. I'm sure there was... Many reasons for why. But uh, one of the reasons was that there was a lot of thought that this could be a tool used in the church and that it would also be something that people would need help processing. And so they brought all the pastors together and let them see the movie uh, for free. But when we got there to walk into the theater, they gave us each a a bag of popcorn. And I walk in and I sat down to watch The Passion of the Christ. And I had had two kernels of popcorn, and, um, and I remember the Garden of Gethsemane, and I remember this moment where, you know, Jesus is just almost losing it in prayer. And the two kernels of popcorn that were in my stomach started to be unsettled. And I thought I was going to get sick on two kernels of popcorn because I cannot sit here and watch my Lord going through this Well, I am eating popcorn. And I cannot journey through Lent. And expect to experience it and behold it the way it's to be experienced. When I kick back in a lounge chair, sipping a cocktail and eating popcorn or doing whatever it is I'm doing, I better engage in the story, let go of the comforts of my life and be present because my job is not to die on a cross for my sins. My job is not to be the hero. This is not a story of the victory of the human spirit. This is a story of the depravity of the human spirit. And the victory of the divine spirit of Jesus inhabited in human flesh. And my job is to truly take it in and behold it. And the sacrifice and the self-denial I make during Lent is not some act of my righteousness. It's the scent that's blown into the theater. And it's the feeling so that I can actually engage in the story and be a part of it. And say, I am going to walk through this story with Jesus, and I am going to watch Him. And at the end of it, it is going to hurt like crazy watching this story. But when Easter comes, you better believe I'm going to be jumping out of my seat and screaming. And it's not going to be just because the story's over. It's because my hungry belly has a reason to eat now and celebrate. My desperate spirit that's been broken over the last 40 days can now jump for joy because I understand Easter because I walked through Lent and that's the point Vlad you saw Russia and the US had the hockey game um, this week and that uh US beat Russia again in a hockey game double overtime or something and shootout and everything we de- we decided the boys and I were watching the end of that game and we decided you know we should we have the movie the miracle or, you know that movie which is about the The time when we really did it, you know, there was that great moment where the college kids beat the big Russian guys and all that stuff. And so we decided to watch the movie. There's very few movies that express the victory of the human spirit, the triumph of the human spirit like that does. You know, of these guys coming together as a team, believing in one another, believing in something bigger than themselves, and just watching the whole thing happen, and a coach trying to get guys who are nothing to actually believe in one another. And there is story after story after story about the victory of the human spirit, trying to get us to believe in ourselves so we can be everything that we can be. But all of that stuff falls short, because at its essence, at its core, the human spirit is gnarled, insecure, and selfish, and left to its own devices, its evil. And yet what happens is, is the divine spirit of Jesus comes and inhabits human flesh and breaks forth as light in darkness and saves the day. And his big hope and his big intention is that he will empower the human spirit to become victorious again, but not on its own merit, but by basing itself on the love of God. And the one who was already victorious. Because we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. And so if I want to see a true story of the victory of the human spirit, it starts with believing in the depravity of the human spirit and staring at the victory of the divine spirit. And this again is the point of Lent. And so this is what I hope for us for this Lenten season. Our sermon series this Lenten season is called Love is Messy. Because in love, somebody has to give. And in love, somebody has to sacrifice. And somebody has to be tired. And someone has to be lonely. And someone has to die. In love. Because this is the greatest form of love, is that someone lays down their life for their friend. And so in love, it just gets messy. But the problem is, is we're, we're not willing to get ourselves that dirty on our own. Jesus becomes the mess on our behalf. And so this is the hope in Lent, is that we will draw back from our own self-infatuation and our own self-dependence. That we will actually practice self-denial, not for the purpose of denying ourselves, but for the purpose of beholding Jesus. And that we will walk through this story, allowing ourselves to experience it and to feel it in order that we can obey one of the greatest commands in all of Scripture, which was spoken by one of the greatest human spirits in all of the history of mankind. Jesus said there was one guy who was the greatest of all men. Do you remember who that was? His name was John the Baptist, his cousin. And when he saw Jesus walking toward him, he said one thing. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Of the world. And the prophet's job was done because he had finally gotten to the place where he could tell them what he really needed to tell them. Stare at him. Behold him. And he will take away the sin. I cannot take it away. No preaching takes it away. No good programs take it away. A good church doesn 't even come close to taking it away. My efforts, my disciplines none of it takes it away. There is one thing that takes it away, and it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and my job is to behold that 's the point of that we've got to prepare ourselves to journey through the story together let 's pray.